welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. Today, I'm talking to Patrick Kinlan, a man who is no stranger to the world of podcasts, as it seems that at any given point, he has several going, including Axe to Grind and Worst Possible Timeline. He writes comic books and sings in the bands Self-Defense Family and Drug Church. Uh, Patrick is a tough nut to crack. We've been friends almost a decade, and he very rarely ever talks about his deep personal life or his childhood. He's a master deflector. So, you know, it was nice to hear a bit of his origin story and, you know, when it comes to comics and music. Um, And it was a really great talk. I love Patrick. So thank you so much for being here. I really hope you enjoy. As always, this is the first ever podcast. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I I know you're uh, you're you're a very busy person. Uh, One might one might question that by your social media presence, but uh, as being your friend now for Jesus Christ, Pat, I think we've been friends for almost 10 years. Um, the, uh, I, I know you, you, you're juggling a lot of different things all day. So, so thanks for an hour. It's uh, it's, that's an illusion. <laughs> it, it's really, uh, I, I don't accomplish anything. It's disgusting. I don't believe that for a second. I remember you one time telling me that like, uh, if you don't accomplish something in a day, you feel like physically messed up, like like it like you get really depressed if you don't get something done. Is that still a thing? Yeah, and I've, I, I I have back pain for the last three weeks. I haven't gotten anything done. I, I, I but the back pain is because I'm not getting anything done. So I took on a job that I'm unqualified for, and I'm trying to learn it. And uh, as a result, I'm not being very productive. And as a result of that, I am spiraling into a. Uh, so I, this is for the this is for the listeners at home that really give a shit. I carry my tension in my mid back, and <laughs> that and that is uh, where I'm suffering right now because uh, I am doing a thing that I'm not. Jeremy, uh, it, what happens when you see an Excel sheet? Uh, I realize I'm not prepared to uh, to be an adult by any means. I I, I stopped having a having a straight job when. Um, when when the need for Excel, I think, came into play with everyone's uh, normal work life, is are you in the same are you in the same boat? Yeah, I I look at Excel and it it I feel crushed by it, and uh, for many of the listeners who work in Excel basically all day, they think that you and I are cave people. But it's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm fi- I'm fine with that. It's it's just I, I'm now, and for for listeners, they're going to find this irritating that I can't even put my finger on exactly what it is that I do. I have to, I have to nod to a coding language in the writing that I'm doing right now. So I'm get, I took on a job writing for video games and they said, okay, you just script the thing, but if you could drop it into this uh, very rudimentary uh, c- coding uh, format. And I said, sure, I'm capable of that. And now I just look at a screen for six hours a day thinking I'm a failure and that I can't. It's it's almost like it, there's people that are teaching themselves Mandarin at fucking age 38. You know, what I mean, they're learning new languages. And meanwhile, I'm I'm I can't learn the most basic. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what they're called. What, what is it called <laughs> yeah. when you uh, commands, prompts, stupid little yeah, signs that sh- stupid. And I, so this yeah, is yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm this is what I'm wrestling with right now. I, I'm not accomplishing it enough. So yeah, this shows about first experiences, and you're someone who's been involved in so many different art forms at this point. Now I guess video video game writing is a is a new one to add on there. Um, 
what what was it that you dove yourself into was it was it comics was it music was it both at the same time what was uh what was it for you so in anticipation of this conversation i i asked my mother if she could remember because i i my memory prior to high school is basically non-existent i have no idea what trauma i'm, uh, I'm yet to process but, <laughs> but but clearly something terrible because my memory is almost non-existent uh, i asked her when i became interested in comic books and she said uh no later than four <laughs> i said wow really she said uh yeah we used to go to uh, phase drugs, uh, which is a drugstore that was in the, uh, uh, Delaware Plaza in Bethlehem, New York. Uh, and, uh, phase drugs had a spinner rack, which was the, uh, the pretty standard, uh, pr- you know what I say standard, but there's probably many listeners who do not know what I'm speaking of. Um, everybody. It's like a sunglass, like, like the sunglasses rack when you go into a, Correct. into a, yeah. Uh, so, so that's how comics used to be sold uh, to uh, newsstand, is what it was called, even though it was at, you know, it was at a drugstore. But the the type of uh, sales that that was in comic was called newsstand sales. Uh, that was so for people that don't know this, um, comic books used to sell millions because they used to be just pop culture uh, accessible uh, media of uh, of the type that you know there might be a million things that you can think of now that would you know. Uh, uh, streaming services or it, it, it was just uh, everywhere right and uh part of that was news news newsstand sales now in the 80s things pivoted to uh uh the direct market that might actually be late 70s direct market which is comic book stores which is probably where most most listeners uh have their comic book experiences at comic book stores but for many many years like certainly your parents' generation and your grandparents' generation newsstand. So I'm old enough that I could be somebody's parent. And uh, my ex- my first exposure uh, was at Phase Drugs uh, in in, in uh, Bethlehem, New York. And uh, I don't recall what comics that would have been at three, but I, cer- <laughs> I certainly have uh, a number from when I was uh, very young and I was a Marvel kid and i loved uh grew which is uh the sergio aragones uh uh book that i would recommend to anybody uh and i was really into spider-man and once the punisher hit the scene i was really into punisher okay so with uh man do you still have your comic book collection from when you were a kid probably not right like you don't still got those like i do it it it's gone through a, a number of uh, probably partial purges from things like moves, et cetera. But uh, I do have a ton of comics that are probably more from the early nineties on when I actually took the time to put things into uh, in a bag and board them, you know? Sure. So uh, I do, but I do have a number of them, uh, which by the way, for anybody listening that thinks that they found their uncle's, uh, comic book collection and are now wealthy. If it's anything from the nineties, it, it is perfectly worthless. You, 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 there is not a, there is not an ounce of, of value there. I, uh, I discovered mine, um, a couple of years back when I had to, when I had to clean out my mother's place and I was like, Oh my God, like, did I just yeah, same, you know, I was like, man, I wonder if there's anything cool in here. And, um, the first thing I noticed was, um, you'll love this. Uh, my mom took it upon herself when I was a child to, uh, write my name 
on my comic books for some reason in some sort of like, well, I don't want them to lose them kind of a thing. Yeah, uh, sure. The, this uh, dollar periodical that uh, is meant to be destroyed. I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't want him to, uh, <laughs> you know, mistake it with somebody else's and not have it anymore. I mean, it's not far off from record collecting where it's like, you know, uh, there, there's the idea of keeping them in pristine condition and, and having them all your life. Or there's the, the person who just wears a record out to death because you actually showed it love and then now it's worthless. So it's like that funny in between of uh of of just the collector habit um so when so you, you do you remember when uh what the first like i i know you mentioned your your uh your memory's a little shot do you remember the first thing musically that you were connecting to as a kid so i, I didn't have any real interest or expo i'd say exposure forget interest uh to music until probably 12 years old um no yeah maybe 12 13 uh when I started going to the public library that was, uh, we moved at some point and we moved closer to a public library and I would, uh, walk or bike down there. And, uh, which has me thinking, I don't think I've ever had a bike lock. So I wonder if I just, I think I probably hit it next to the library. These are the, th- these um, are the things that you do I, remember. <laughs> I didn't have a bike. lock. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I've ever owned one. Um, a real, real risk taker out here. Um, so, uh, but, but, uh, going to the library was, it was my exposure to music and I didn't know anything about music. I, I went to a, uh, a Catholic school where there was no like cool dudes, you know? And I, I mean, I like all my friends. I still talk to many people from that, from that, uh, parochial school, but, uh, it, it wasn't like there was, it was a very, very, um, everybody's the same level of lame. Everybody's the same level of cool. There was nobody that you could go to, to ask them about music or nobody was turning you on to cool things, quote unquote. Uh, and it was kind of nice in a lot of ways. There was no snobbery of that type, you know, like which young people get hung up on knowing things versus the person that doesn't know the thing. And there was none of that. Okay. So that's good. But the flip side is that I really had no exposure to music from my peers and my parents aren't musical at all. So, uh, my, I just, I was a fairly visual kid and, and I would just pick up records from the record, uh, section of the library based on their album art. So, uh, as, and as you can imagine the library, even the most progressive library in the world, like the most forward thinking one probably is still dealing in a lot of classics. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. So, so, I mean, well, <laughs> I think people think I say this shit to sound cool, but I don't think it's cool or uncool. Well, everybody else um, was probably listening to, I couldn't even say whatever came before green day. Uh, I, uh, Nirvana probably I was listening like my, Oh yeah. Oh, Nirvana completely missed me. Um, I was <laughs> completely missed me. Offered me. I was, while everybody else was listening to Nirvana, no exaggeration. I was listening to little feet. I was the album Dixie Chicken by Little Feet is I I anticipate having it played at my funeral. I I think it is a perfect album. And as a kid, that record, uh, the Elvis Costello record, Armed Forces, uh, uh, I loved, loved, loved uh, the uh, the Clash material that was at the library. I loved. Oh, now you're bringing up memories. I remember then I got into uh, the Columbia House world. Uh, and got 
all of the like greatest hits from every everybody whose album I had I had sampled at the library. I listened to one record. I then got the greatest hits. So Rush Chronicles, the two disc the CD, uh, the uh, uh, Talking Heads, Sand in the Vaseline two disc. Uh, th- these were all things that I was listening to instead of what was going on because no, nobody told me what was going on. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, I, and I think that that informed, uh, a lot of where I've arrived, uh, musically, you know, and I don't see it as good or bad. I think people that enjoy my music or hate it would be the better judges of that. Uh, but, uh, it, it certainly helped shape, um, helped shape my perspective on those things. Oh, that, I mean, knowing you as long as I have now, I can completely see how that, now that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, did you remember having moments where you would try something and you wouldn't like it? Because I, you know, with talking to people so much about this kind of thing at this point, um, it, it always comes back to like when you're young, you don't, you're not really a snob yet. You don't know that you could hate something or you're supposed to like, it. yeah, exactly. So it's like, um, you find yourself being way more open-minded to things. Like, did you come across something like Santana and you were like, Oh, this isn't, I'm in for this. Or was there, was there anything that like turned you off that you remember? Uh, could not connect with Springsteen. Uh, uh could not connect with Dylan. Wow. Uh, that surprises me. I like, I like the four Dylan songs that count as pop. You know what I mean? <laughs> and sure. Uh, so, so I think what you just mentioned is an interesting phenomenon when you don't know what you're supposed to like or what you're supposed to dislike. Right. So I, my first exposure to Rush was uh, an album that doesn't rank with most fans among their best, which is Roll the Bones, but has fantastic album art. And uh, I, so I picked it up for that reason. And now I'm a huge Rush fan, uh, but I didn't know that this record was supposed to be whack. It's a bit like the the first Bad Brains record that I was exposed to was Rise. Okay. Uh, which is the one that people have retconned, retconned it now to say that it's a good record and that they, you know, people always appreciated that. I can tell you that is not true. <laughs> people did not always appreciate it. Yeah, that's it. the revisionist liars of, of our day. <laughs> people decide to, yeah, to, for sure. to write an op-ed about the worst record from, their, from the band and, and try to give it glory where you're like, no, this, this record's just not. But I mean, it, the record is better than people remember, but I, I can assure you. Oh, sure. It's I, not a bad record. But I can assure you that it's, it was not cool. You know what I mean? Like no, no, like I didn't bring that to the punks and, and they were like, Oh, sick. The record, the record without HR, you're really turning us on to something, you know you know what I mean? So it, it, uh, you know, so I, I liked a lot of stuff that probably is probably seems pretty whack and, uh, uh, really disliked a lot of stuff that I was really, I mean, everybody's supposed to like on some level, you know? Uh, but I think that, I think that that, like, if I'm going to, if I'm, whenever people self-analyze, they, they self-aggrandize, you know what I mean? Like that it's always, cause even if you're like, oh, I, I'm such a dummy, I don't understand anything. There's still like this weird exceptionalism that you're applying to yourself that you're like, you want people to pay attention to you for that reason. It's weird. So I don't want to like talking about Excel, yeah, for example. <laughs> so so I, I don't want to engage, I don't want to engage in too much of that, but I, but I, I, uh, I will say that it probably um, that's a, probably a, a positive benefit of being exposed to music in that fashion is that I, I, you know, that, that sort of what's cool, what's not cool, um, didn't impact my life enough to harm my, um, natural tendencies. So 
you obviously, you know, one of the things you're most known for now is is you write comics, you write graphic novels. Do you, what? Uh, this could be a quick answer. What would you like? What would you tell? Would you say you write comics? Or would you say you write co- graphic novels? Do you like the term graphic novels? Help me, educate me on that. Uh, so that's a good that's a good question because uh, traditionally there are people who do not like the comics. People have pushed back on the graphic novel thing. They'll tell you it's all just comics. But that's really a really weird era specific response to media latching on to this idea of the graphic novel. Like for example, Watchmen is is described as this brilliant graphic novel by by press. And technically that's true, but it was it first appeared in in comic books in in, in serial comic books. So, uh it, 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 there's and people had this pushback to that, like the comic book heads had this had this pushback. So to, the short answer to your question is, uh, I personally don't give a shit. Um, I, I I say I write comics um, because I like when people go, they still make those. So I, I so I like that response. And I just want that more and more in my life. I want to be someplace where there's a bunch of young professionals that are going around the room talking about how they work at like Bear Stearns or something. And then they go, what do you do? And I go, oh, I, I write comics. And they go, oh, like Garfield. So if you, so I'm, I'm just trying to put together this as quick, you know, as best I can. So like you, you, you love comics. You're obviously mu- interested in music. You, uh, you realize you can't draw. You're probably drawn to the story. So were you also, heavily influenced by movies as a kid like did you did you find yourself being like a movie fanatic when you were when you were younger yeah i, I really love movies I for the writing i'm going for i i uh my family had hbo and i was just glued to hbo at all times i uh weirdly do not enjoy television and i can't figure out why um you know if you're a tv so i have to i have to occasionally take meetings with people if you're listening to this and you work in TV and you just heard me say that that's one for the producer. Just mark that. Let's cut it Uh, because I might need those jobs. But the truth is I don't have a great passion for television. Uh, I do really enjoy film Uh, and I don't, I've been trying to analyze why, what the difference there might be as they have basic, they basically become one thing now, but I, I just, there is a difference to me. Well, the thing is, I mean, I have one of my one of my really good friends. He's a he's the biggest cinephile I know. He watches a movie a day, if not two. So he you know, he's a huge movie fanatic, but the same as you doesn't really like TV. I think it's the commitment to it. You know what I'm saying? It's like I could watch several movies that I pull several different things from. In the amount of time that I would just get one TV show. So. And also, like, if it's a show that's not all binge worthy, it's like you have to like tune in every week. It's just like, you know, for for some people, they just don't have the uh, the drive for that. But but think about th- think about that as it applies to me, though. Th- th- think about that as it applies to me, because comic books are are serial storytelling where, you know, Spider Man is endless. It's the worst. It, it's the worst example of a thing that you can't just sample. Yeah, but of course you can, you know, like, if, and for some reason I understand that in comics and I don't understand that in television. There's at least three series that I've been trying to watch for years. I haven't finished justified and I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I, I haven't finished the wire, but that's because I know it ends. It's going to bum me out. Um, but these are things where of course, technically you can watch one episode of the Sopranos just as you could pick up any single issue of Batman. Uh, but there, for some reason, I have a mental block. 
You right. Know? Well, I mean, that could also be your your history with it on top of uh, the familiarity of it where, you know, you know, these characters, you know what to ex- not necessarily what to expect, but what you're getting yourself into with with what you know about uh, just the history of this character or et cetera, or this comic book company, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like to get into a new TV show that has a whole, you know, thing that you haven't experienced yet. It's a, for some people, it's an undertaking that, you know, they just don't have the time for. Yeah. I'll stick with not having the time. That makes me, that makes me sound more important than I am. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Uh, Let's, let's talk music for a second. So at what point did you say, I feel like I could sing in a band. Like, was that high school? Yes, it was um, maybe junior year or senior. Yeah, maybe junior year of high school. Um, a band got together and they just elected me the, the, the singer. I think that, so, okay, there's a, are you familiar with quarterback phenomenon? No. It's this, it's this idea that uh, quarterbacks are good looking because, uh, which is typically true. They are good looking people. And that's, they believe that to be because as, as young people, you can, you can visually identify the good looking person. You recognize that they have some esteem because of that and you hand them leadership positions, which a quarterback is. So like a, uh, you know, a linesman might be, uh, he might be okay looking, but he's likely not going to be the handsome guy in the field. Whereas the quarterback, there's a good chance. And but I think it's not like that in music. I think it's whoever talks the most in this crew of friends, uh, people give that person the microphone. They go, well, you talk, you know what I mean? And that's, it's coming out of your mouth. That's in some ways related to singing. So you're, here you go. And uh, that's exactly what happened to me. I, I didn't, don't think I ever had any ambition to sing. And then I was told, well, well no, you're the singer because you talk the most. And I said, okay, that, 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 that'll work. And then, and then you use, then you use that against them when you were like, well, guess what? Now I'm going to talk for eight minutes between each song. Yeah. So how do you like this? Being in a band with me. How do you like yeah. this? But, but I enjoyed that experience and, uh, I don't know if I ever had like rock and roll dreams, but I, uh, I, here's a funny thing, Jeremy, and this is going to bum out. You have like a much, um, like people like you still, uh, you ever bum out photographers because particularly young photographers are, ex- are excited that they got a great shot of you, you know, and they want to share it with you sometimes, et cetera. And I've seen more photos of myself than any average looking person should ever have to look at themselves. And I am completely bored with my own appearance, <laughs> but as a kid, you and if you're a visual thinker, you probably do you see yourself on some like even if it's just a really small stage, just really killing it. You you know you're you're the cover of the, the of of the youth crew record where everybody's storming the stage, and of course it's never like that for ninety nine percent of us. It's just like you know you're playing in front of thirty five people and they fucking hate you. But uh, I probably it probably took a minute for me to become a self involved narcissist, <laughs> but I arrived there eventually. Um. What was uh, the the first band wasn't end of a year, I assume, was it? No, that was my like, did, second did, did it band. turn into end of a year? No. Okay. What was the first? First band was a high school band originally named Turnstile, actually. No way. 
Yes. I mean, spelled in graffiti font with uh, style being uh, the word style. Well, I mean, this this tracks for for where your band came from. This this sounds just do you remember right. do you That's remember perfect. do you remember the graffiti font that was built into like like ms like uh any sort of microsoft uh i forget what it was called oh but I, was, I know what you're talking about yeah oh it was on our demo it was so bad it's great um yeah well i mean I, I worked with the bass player of downset so i'm completely aware of this 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 style that happened in that era of hardcore completely <laughs> but those guys those guys were actually like dudes that were plugged into that i have no idea why we were like using an ms paint graffiti <laughs> font why didn't we draw it ourselves it's bizarre um uh, so yeah you uh so how long did that band last and what was it like was it like a was it like kind of like a heavier hardcore sort of thing or yeah so so turnstile be- so turnstile became pacavi and pacavi uh was uh me doing 108 while my while the guitarist did uh uh pantera and uh drums and bass pretended to play okay okay so so i remember our first show uh i became very flustered and my shoes came off and uh i remember feeling good when we were in the basement and then once I heard my voice projected into a large room, I remember feeling like the biggest fucking fool. And it was a terrible show in which no human being liked us. And I have truly no idea why I devoted the next 73 years of my life to that venture. <laughs> I have no idea. If I think about it. How long did that band last? Uh, maybe two years. Put out a few demos. Um, okay. Then the, available. Are, are, oh, are they are they discogsy? Um, I have people. Kind of, no, I don't think so. But I have people like occasionally try to troll me. Like they'll create fake accounts and and pretend to be pe- like members of that band. <laughs> so so uh, so somebody remembers for sure. Weird. But, uh, it, we fell apart because we were a straight edge band, and then the uh, drummer uh, proceeded to sell drugs and then get arrested and do time for that matter. So, so then end of year is the next band, obviously a very big different, uh, or a very different, uh, sonic change. Um, was that due to your tastes changing or were those tastes always there, always there? Like the very, you know, sort of discordy, uh, w- influence. well, minor threat, uh, was in the first like four punk records that I got. And it's still, I, I recorded a, a, a record the other day, a hardcore record where I said to the engineer, I just want to sound like I'm singing think again uh on every track. Can we do that? And the answer is no. I was not capable of doing that at fucking all. But uh that that DC was an influence on me. It wasn't until a couple years later that I got really into Embrace and then uh weirdly I love Palehead. Obviously that's not a direct influence on stuff like End of a Year, but um uh, but I I got into all the Mackay bands. Uh, and then, uh, by virtue of that, uh, arrived at the other revolution summer stuff. And, uh, but that was a couple years later. Uh, and was the members of the band of the original lineup of end of a year, they weren't involved in your first band. Were those kids from the same scene? You guys were just all friends or how did, how did you arrive with that first lineup? 
So I, I believe I, I believe end of a year was me responding to a, a message board post, and I knew one member. Okay. I don't think I knew any of the other guys. And then, yeah, that band was extremely prolific. Where you know, I remember once I once I heard end of, end of a year for like the like actually gave it a a, a solid listen. It was with Trey mccarthy of death wish uh right when Hugh, i think it was before i had come out but he had the uh you are beneath me record um that's the title right you remember mm-hmm. me sounds right yeah i think that's it um <laughs> god it's been so long uh i've put out a lot of records yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't but i remember hearing the intro to that record and i was like what the fuck is this like that's that is uh not to blow smoke but i was like that's one of my that's one of the best intros to a record i've I've probably ever heard um and then the second song started and i said trey that's one of the wildest wildest voices that I've ever heard over this kind of music. And he was like, yeah, welcome to, uh, to trying to sell this thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's, it's, yeah, gonna, yeah. it's I, I think he's still trying. I think he's, he's still, still probably yeah, sitting yeah, on yeah. copies being like, how now he's like, what angle can I think of this year? Like, what? Oh God. So, right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, no. Shout out to Trey. Uh, so, so, um, yeah. And then, uh, end of the year was, was fairly prolific. And then, um, we toured uh, uh, way too much for a band that nobody liked. And then, uh, it, you know, releases on revelation and death wish and, 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 uh, really fun, fun, fun experience. But yeah, go ahead. Well, go I was going to say is, you know, it's, it's fun to, you know, tear yourself down and say, you know, no one like this or whatever, but like you, you, the music you've made, especially from then till now, it's like, obviously there's a, there's quite a cult following for it. Um, and, it's funny, you're not, I don't think you're not, you and I have ever really spoke about this, but I remember I wasn't there, I wasn't present for it, but the year that end of a year did Sound and Fury, was that 2006, I think? Um, I remember that being a big, I remember that being a big talking point. And I think that comes from, I think one of the best things that can happen for a band like end of a year, like Touche or whatever, a band that's not sonically the same as a lot of bands on those kind of festivals is being the outlier where like you get to be the band that breaks up, you know, six mosh bands, then end of a year, then six more mosh bands where it's like everyone in the room all of a sudden notices the, the tonal change and is like kind of, it's kind of a nice breath as much as they all like the mosh band. They're there to hurt each other. They're there to jump on each other, whatever. But like to have that sort of like, well, this is different, I think helps a whole lot. And I remember that being a big year where, uh, end of year was the only band I really heard about talked about that year. And I'm curious if you think that sort of helped push your career at all, like musically. Oh, I, that's tough to say. Um, I really like that festival and it's fun. It's fun to do, but I, 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 that was a stressful one for me, honestly, because I was supposed to get beat up. It was a whole fucking thing. So like, I, I wasn't my, I wasn't in the, like, is this furthering my, <laughs> my life sort of thing? I think, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I guess when you, as you reflect on it, Oh, like if you've reflected on no, it, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I will say that that for any band that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like uh, the other bands in a specific scene, but you're in that scene for whatever reason. Maybe that's your interest. Maybe those are just the people you know. Whatever it is, um, it might feel like you're beating your head against the wall uh, p- playing shows where you know that only a certain number of people, some percentage, maybe small percentage, is going to like you. I will say that if there's no, 
yeah, it can be frustrating, I guess. But we so self defense family played for the children, I guess, last year, and yo, that's a fucking heavy show. And the room, the room was across the room. People just straight up were in the corner hiding. I think there must have been a tornado outside because they didn't leave, but they were all they were all in the corner being like, "Oh, I don't like this." But but then you hear from ten people that say that it was the set of the fucking fest for them and listen so i i this is a uh, booking agent 101 jeremy you've you and i have gone through so much on this topic because we both uh want to play in front of as many people as possible but not be lame as shit and that is a very tough road to dance and you almost have to give yourself over to being lame as shit because there's no compromise it's either play in front of as many people as you can or start making lines for yourself that are really they're just going to frustrate your booking agent and they're going to fucking hate you but the the thing is that when i talked to a booking agent and i said nah listen i want to play shit that i respect that i would like to enjoy blah 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 blah, blah. and they always say no you got to play in front of the most of these people and you have this pushback and whatever but I've seen it in my own life. You play in front of 10,000 people. If a thousand like you score, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the idea that you, the, the idea that you would have been better, better benefited by playing in front of a hundred people a night and all of them loving you. Well, there's time enough for that too. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's a, it, it, it's this thing where, you know, those festivals where we didn't fit in, you know, you win over fucking four people and it's, it, it's, it's a win, you know? Um, so maybe I, I, I couldn't say about sound of fury that that's interesting because I don't remember anybody talking about us. I, 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 uh, I think that, I think that was the year that fucked up played. Is that possible? Or is that the following year? That might be the following year. I don't know. We played, we played, did we play sound of fury the same weekend as sync with Cali? Was it that whatever? Everybody this is too inside. Fuck it. It's too inside California. Um, but it was, uh, I don't, I could not speak to that. I don't know. That's interesting. Though. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I guess just it's attaching my own experience. Like, cause we played in, you know, 2009 and you know, we were between mosh stuff and couldn't have felt, you know, more unwelcome in the situation where like we had a 15 minute set and our, our boy, Andy Rice later admitted to me, uh, that he was our stage manager. We didn't know him at the time, but he cut us off at like nine minutes just because he just was over it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, you watch the video and like kids are reacting, kids are singing along and we had, you know, it was a a really monumental set for us. And then moments later, Trey approached us and then, you know, we ended up being on death wish months later. So like, you know, listen for it, for anybody that doubts this though, just look at deaf heaven. Like you might look at Deaf Heaven and go, oh, but they were destined to be good to do this because they're good. Hey, Jeremy and I'll tell you. Jeremy and I will tell you. Being good isn't a fucking destiny call. It's not. There's there's no guarantee of oh because you're good, good things happen to you. It just ups your chances. Watching Deaf Heaven play Sound of Fury and people straight up make fun of them, and that like it become a meme on on Bridge Nine board and shit. Just to then solidify every possible fan in that crowd. And become big and hardcore before becoming a legitimately room filling fucking metal band. Right. Like, yo, it, th- this is play in front of the people that you think don't like it. They might not like you, but you'd be, su- you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what it does for you. And 
you know, there's also a scam to it, like a straight up scam. And here's the scam, everybody, that if you have a if you even play certain shows. It does not matter that nobody watched you. It does not matter that nobody enjoyed you. It brings esteem to your name because music is an idiotic game for children that like popularity. So Coachella, you play that shit? Yeah. Okay. So Coachella, you could not, you would, uh, you, maybe you want to play it again. So you're going to strike this uh, producer, make a note. What would what, what, what not happen? Well, I mean, I mean, just guitar music, guitar music is dead to Coachella. It's not, it's not going to happen. Oh, that's and, and also, sure. No, no, no. You know, when you'll get, you know, when you'll get the offer again is when you're like circle jerks level of spent. <laughs> um, that's when you'll get the offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, my feelings on the Coachella experience where, where I mean, I think it's going to be what you, you're about to allude to, but go ahead. That, you know, that it didn't do shit for you, except it did. Because the experience, the physically being there, uh, watching people be like bored, confused, ambivalent, uh, uh, looking at you, it doesn't matter. What resonates is, you know, people talk about that because hardcore and, and, and just good subculture music, let's say is so myopic and up its own ass that it sees it sees Ben Affleck wearing a bridge nine shirt as oh look how big oh my goodness look at this look and it's you know people wear shirts in the world people you know what I'm saying like it, it, Jeremy that's like you and I like like we've both spent time and you've lived in Los Angeles forever it, it, you run into celebrities that know who you are and enjoy you because th- that's just a human being it's not that weird like when somebody's like Oh, uh, the the uh, uh, woman from Against Me really likes your band. Yeah, no shit. We're a good band. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what? Just because that person is is popular that they, they don't got ears. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like it, it, people get so up their own ass. But but it, in guitar music, in subculture music, playing something like Coachella makes your 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 base think that you're bigger than you are that you're more valid than you are it's a scam so yeah everybody you got to play this you got to play the stupid shit it's a fucking hustle yeah i, I spoke about this briefly on the reba episode but yeah because because code, code orange was supposed to play coachella before it all got you know before the world ended but uh yeah i was like i was saying it's like well that was the first time where i could post something on facebook and then the people i went to high school with were like oh wow jeremy's really doing something yeah yeah, yeah precisely <laughs> like, that was the, that was, that was the that was my moment of validation for the people that didn't accept me in in high school. Now now I'm accepted. Uh, you know, so several years later. But it was uh, but yeah, I mean, like you know, when we I, I I've joked in the past that um, our bio one line could be uh, you know, um, aggressive band at the pop culture fetch festival likely playing Sunday at noon. it's like like that's we juggled we for a while there we were juggling um that position with dev heaven and with title fight i think where it was like which which festival took us yeah and then then the the higher echelon of that is fucked up and off who also were were in that in that uh in that thing but um yeah i mean when we when we played it was like you know it like i said it was it was a it was the sunday afternoon slot and the, it, we played in a tent and the tent certainly wasn't unattend, like underattended, but it was clearly the kids who already were aware of our band who just happened to also be at Coachella. So it was like playing, you know, it was like playing the the Echo where you're like, OK, cool. There's a couple hundred kids here. Let's knock this out. Uh, it'll be weird, but let's go. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, I got it. This will be fun for the pod just to have it on here. And then we could we could wrap up soon. But this is an anecdote. I don't know if, if I've told you about. Um, so Elliot brings a good friend along with him to Coachella. And uh, this friend is just one of these just ridiculous characters who uh, who's who's just um, a very over the top character that Elliot's friends with, who uh, shows up to Coachella wearing a black flag uh, novel T-shirt. But instead of black flag, it says for loco. And it's four locos in the bar, like the most shitty shirt you could imagine. And this, this is like the height of four loco, too. Right. So um, off, as mentioned, is on the festival and playing after us uh, on this stage. So there's a moment where Elliot's friend is side stage uh, watching us set up and uh, and uh, and our boy Keith from off uh, apparently is just glaring at Elliot's friend <laughs> and Elliot's friend has no idea who this man is <laughs> and doesn't understand. Yeah, that's a better detail. That's great. detail. <laughs> doesn't understand. He's like, man, that guy's giving me weird looks. And I just looked at El- I mean, just, says, who is this? Why is this line cook mean mugging me? <laughs> and I just, I looked at, and I didn't, and I was like, put it together. And I looked at Joe Sher and I just died laughing. I was like, that's so funny. That's so funny. Like, Oh, so good. Um, so I like to wrap this up. I didn't I didn't give you the heads up on this question. Um, and I'm cur- and it's going to be an interesting one to get out of you because uh, I, I don't know how you value success. But um, I like to rent- end the show with uh, with asking, do you remember the first time where you felt like you were actually doing the thing that you could been working towards where like you had that moment of like, oh, shit, I'm doing this. And I guess I would relate it more to comics uh, with writing comics. Like, do you remember? Was it like, because I know you've written for Marvel before, you've done things like this. Like, do you remember having that moment? It's funny you should say, <laughs> this is a funny question because um, I was doing a podcast for a while with with Ian Shelton of Regional Justice Center, and we might get back to it. He is currently feeling overexposed, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard somebody that can only sell fucking a thousand records ever say in their fucking life. But he's currently feeling overexposed, so we're, we're on a hiatus, but... Uh, we, we talked a little bit about this phenomenon and it bummed him out. I'm going to ask if it bums you out. Uh, every time that I've arrived to a career milestone, it is later than it should be. And I, I have been through the ringer on it and it, it not, it doesn't raise my heart rate even a tiny bit. <laughs> so like, so uh, last year, uh, last summer I had my breakthrough, uh, big break rather. Uh, I went to San Diego comic-con was in a terrible, terrible fucking mood. Cause I felt passed over by, uh, basically somebody did not show up to a meeting in essence. And I was big mad and I already become like a bad person at these conventions because I don't, I I'm hostile to, to the experience. I, I wish I could get into it. I can't. And, so I was mad and then we rescheduled for the following day. And I, I feel like telling this, th- this publisher to S a D just fuck it. Like I'm, I'm like, sit, I, I'm sitting beside a person that you and I know who's worth a few million from working really hard and taking any meeting with any fucking person to, I don't want to put him out there like this, this friend of ours, got rich by taking nothing personally. 
he would sit across and has sat across and regularly calls for business people that hate him a lot and who he does not like on any level. But he's professional because he loves money more than he loves being bitter. And I'm glad that I was sitting beside him when I got the reschedule text. Like, oh, hey, we can do it today. And I'm like, oh, we can? Oh, 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 the thing that we were supposed to do that, that we planned for yesterday, so we can do it today? Oh, you got a window to see me? And I'm getting indignant because I got too much pride and I'm acting like a fucking fool. And I calm myself. I look at my friend's fucking plane and I go, okay, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't gotta love every experience. Maybe I don't have to be a fucking child about everything. So I go to the meeting and I'm, I'm thinking that this is not like a waste of my time. So I'm acting a little bit more unfriendly <laughs> than I would. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty affable guy when it comes to other people, other professionals. Like I can seem like I don't want to talk to you because I'm going from green room to stage and back, but ask anybody that engages me. I'm never fucking, I never cool guy, anybody like it, but even at a convention where I hate everybody, I, I still will talk to anybody, but I was not, I was just not feeling this. I was mad. So I was like kind of conveying that. But as it turned out, this person and I, this publisher and I got on really famously, we emailed every fucking week and, and they offered, they offered me an opportunity that had it happened five years earlier, I would have hit the ground, start crying, start talking about how, how grateful I am. And I, and, but by that time, I'd been in it 10 years, been up and down on, on opportunities. Oh, and to give <laughs> this makes the story even funnier. I got that. Yes. Then I go have a meeting with big publisher, the one that's got bat ears. And I go and they offer me a job and I go, oh, my God, this is like the best day. What a great day. And then I go, why am I not experiencing anything? Why do I feel nothing? And. I, the answer is because I've been up and down on that shit. And it's just, for example, the DC opportunity that that editor went to a different office, that job went away because this is the nature of the thing. You know, like it, it's, I couldn't tie myself to, I couldn't tie myself emotionally to any experience without, without this. I just couldn't do it. Like at this juncture, like I, like when something good happens in my life, I go out and I get Indian food and that's it. I don't feel anything. I don't like, you know, like I thought I was going to have a moment. I really thought I was going to have a moment when, uh, this thing that I've been working towards the DC thing was a nice affirmation, but the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the other publisher is like the exact thing that I want to be doing. Uh, and I expected to have like this moment where everything was validated and, and I could call my folks and, and, and say, yes, I still need $150. Uh, I am, I am stuck at the convention center and I did not think about how to get home, but I, I am a peer. I am valid. You know what I mean? And, uh, but instead I just said, Oh, that's sick. I'm going to go get some Indian food. And, I don't, I, th that's just where I'm at. So no, no, that never happens. It's never happened to music either. I like the one occasion where we opened up, uh, for sick of it all. That's it. I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't have, I wish, you know, I wish I had these moments. It seems like a passionate thing, but I just don't. That's actually a perfect way to end this, uh, to end this podcast. 
So uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you. I'm happy to have uh, been your friend as long as I have. Uh, I don't see an ending anytime soon. So uh, thanks again. Th- thank you for having me on, Jeremy. I, pr- I, 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 uh, I value you too. You're one of the few people that I get texts from that I don't ignore. <laughs> well, that, that certainly means a lot. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Later. Bye. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, this is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.